Hello, welcome to Never Not Creative, season two, episode... 16, Correct. which we've just decided on, or, yeah, counted up. Um, Sydney's put on the summer. It's yep. ready, it's here, it's very hot. Um, and our guest has just told us how hot it was <laughs> getting here. So but how cold the water still is, because she went for a swim yesterday and regretted it. That's true. It's too much. <laughs> so welcome, Shruti Ray. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, Thank you. Do you want to tell people a little bit more about you and what you do? Sure. Um, so I'm Shruti Ray. Uh, I am an experienced design and strategy lead. Um, currently freelancing around, uh, but I've been in the industry for about nine to ten years now. And it was actually Christian that recommended we get you on the uh, on the podcast. That's right. Um, so thank you for coming in. And you two kind of inadvertently have something in common, um, which you didn't. I'm not sure you knew until we wrote it down. But you, oh, you knew, but maybe you didn't. Which no. was you were both at Rare. That's yeah. right. Earlier yeah. in the year. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Rare because I feel like it's a great initiative, um, and I, I'm not sure how many people actually know. It. Yeah, um, it's a it's a really really interesting and really important opportunity um, um, for I think the industry for for having had an um, initiative like Rare. Um, it started by these two amazing women from Google. They found themselves in a room. They were creative directors. They found themselves in a room where they noticed that they were the only two women there. And they realized that there was so much lack of diversity. Um, so they started this initiative to help um, help nurture creative, diverse talent um, from the you know the the young ones coming through the door um, to help give them a platform and um, to help equip them with the necessary tools to stay and flourish in this industry, um, which they would have otherwise just. Um, fallen through the cracks and we would have lost such really important talent. Rare, while I was at RGA, um, they uh, approached to speak at the Rare um, global event this year at Semi Permanent. Um, and myself and my colleague Charlotte, we spoke about the power of the edge case and the the gold mine of innovation that sits within the fringes of society, the fringes of our audience sets, and how we overlook them sometimes and perhaps to our own detriment. So explain edge case a little bit more for people, because I, I yeah. had a long chat previously about how yeah. important that is, but I think sometimes briefs are, oh, this is for you know a 25 to 40 year old female living in the city that's right um, and then we see all this kind of stock imagery that helps bring her life to, to, to <laughs> visualizes her life for us um, but actually that might not be the case and everyone is very different so so what's the edge case when it comes to that stuff um, that's a good question so I think we edge case is something that we usually use within the industry terms so um, you have an audience set and you look at who your majority of your um, users or audiences are, and they fall within the, the average scale. And then you have the edges or the bookmark ends of people who are probably not um, your majority of users, but 
um, they're renegated to a lesser value from your uh, effort point of view. Now, it's un you know, there's a commercial aspect of you can't be everything to everybody, um, but it's it's an unfortunate situation where sometimes their needs are um, are considered lesser. I think that's where the issue starts to come through as well. Um, for example, I think you know, if you're designing a hardware or um, a piece of physical product, how does someone who uh, is in a wheelchair or has uh, a different kind of an ability, uh, how do they use your, um, your product or your service? Um, fortunately, there are, you know, governments and, and cities have made that journey and our cities are much more accessible today. But um, commercially, our products and services and our organizations haven't made that journey yet. I, I always think of it when you when you did your talk. I thought of it not just sort of in the tech space, but you know, as a society. So often, democracy is great, but if the majority are voting for something, yeah. it'll be for something that the majority need. Yeah. Um, which you know works out well for most of us, but there's always going to be those edge cases. That's right. Not just from a sort of product point of view, but from yeah. just life. Yeah. And and I think the. Um, it, this, this, this topic's been in my mind for a, a while now, but I think when the rare initiative came around the right time, because one of the things that um, I was starting to explore as well was all the conversation around inclusion and diversity seems to have a very altruistic point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we must do it. You know, it's the right thing to do. And yes, but I think it's time to also try and reframe it. And that's why um, our talk is about looking at this as a um, innovation tool and looking at how you can harness the power of their needs to actually um, make your product or your service better. And this, this is kind of running parallel to the conversations that's coming about around diversity at work in the workforce. Um, I believe it was BCG, um, one of the surveys that have come out that said companies that have diverse workforces see about 19% increase in their revenue and the bo- it affects the bottom line and you know it makes sense. Um, but I think that's, the, that's another way to sort of look at it. Mm. It's, it's, it's actually commercially a very smart decision to make well, as that's well, a message that go, gets through to a different set of exactly set of people. You know, you get yeah. numbers, um, hard numbers, data that that affects actual money. Yeah, then people take notice. Absolutely. I think I think also like for creativity in general, looking at the more extreme case or the edge case is more exciting, right? Yeah. Like you're actually looking for things that you know, haven't been solved before Mm -hmm. or aren't a variation on a theme necessarily because that theme is usually just what came before it. That's right. Um, And I know that there are companies that actually specifically drive their people to look at the extreme or the the edge cases. Yeah. Um, I think you're spot on in terms of creativity thrives where there's discomfort, right? And when we all are designing for the same average set, we're all going to come quite close to a very similar situation and similar solution. Um, And I think 
we're seeing a bit of that today because a lot of our products and services, even the top tier ones, they're all on parity. Mm -hmm. There's very minimal difference, if any, amongst them. And so it's either a, a race of features or race of a price, mm -hmm. and that's a bottom race. Yeah, uh, even beyond the features, they often look the same now too. Exactly. Like branding, yeah, Christian sent me an article where yeah. someone had sort of screenshotted a whole bunch of um, front pages of things and it all, there's just this certain visual language that is trendy, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I'm all about A-B testing. It's but actually when it just over-optimizes to that's yeah. right. just becoming a carbon yeah. copy. And, and, you know, honestly, innovation is the antidote to that. And for, for that, let's look at those edge cases find those uncomfortable situations where you your hypothesis is challenged uh, and probably even discredited for you to go and push yourself to find something new and find something different to design better. So that's a good thing on one side, right? Yeah. Because actually, I mean, that homepage thing is like a, that's the classic pitch slide for yeah. any agency, which is yeah. you go into your client and you say, look, you all look the same, you're all green and blue, <laughs> you've all got this little icon, you're all kind of, I remember doing a, a, a greenish company and it was just a sea of green <laughs> and solar farms and all that kind of stuff. And, leaves, um, it had leaves. And it leaves and yeah, just it was just so cringeworthy. But as creatives, you want to be able to kind of push out from there and say, hey, we're going to make you stand out. And often yeah. at the beginning, a client will say, we want to stand out from yeah. the market. Then you show them what standout looks like yeah. and what this edge case has, has created. Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that continues to get through? Because um, quite often they go, mm, it's a little bit different. Oh, we're, we're, you know, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable, which yeah. is what you're actually trying to get to. Yeah. Um, have you had experiences like, like that? Yes. Um, and I, I believe someone did ask at the rare thing as well. It's like, how do you how do you take this notion and sell it to clients? Because at the end of the day, um, you know, it is a it is a bigger ask even from the client side. Um, I don't have the answer to that question, but I think one way that I've been um, thinking about it and exploring it is instead of let's just design for the edge case and make this whole, you know, overhaul the whole thing. How can we use that as an innovation workshop, perhaps, or as a, as a creative um, exercise, and then take that to enhance what, we've, what we're designing? I think in terms of um, a complete change is quite, although our audiences might say, we want change and yeah. we need change, yeah. we always still find comfort in our behavior of what we know there's expected things exactly and as well and that's where the difficulty yeah comes, I and i think it's kind of looking for those incremental changes and looking at how you can make add those incremental values so for example i was recently listening that google's working with a set of people from different abilities in terms of how they can use their products and in screens from a, just moving their head, so gestures, just um, you know, facial gestures and uh, head movement. Now, that doesn't mean that the whole 
um, you know, phone just becomes about head gestures, mm. but that incremental added value of uh, experience mm. means, you know, I've got two babies on both sides and I can't really unlock my phone. Maybe just a mm. nod will help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's about that adding, adding on to it. Um, and I think that will just help um, ease two things. I think what needs to be done is use that to add incremental value to our experiences and our existing products and services. And I think the second one, which I hope would happen, is it's a change in the mindset. Change in the mindset of the people who are designers, who are creatives. Uh, because let's be honest, we're the gatekeepers. We're the ones who um, represent the audience as we design these things. And we're also meant to be holding the interest of our clients and their business. So it is about us being the um, the advocates for this this kind of a mindset first, and that's a learning process as well because that's not how um, usually you come out uh, into the industry thinking about, um, and that's that kind of mindset then evolves and adopts and sort of goes on to do better and bigger things. <laughs> I have another kind of question or discussion point around edge cases. Some edge cases, for example, um, accessibility and, and they're, they're, they're valuable to look at. And then how do you know when something is just, it is someone who, or something that's just not working for a particular very strange way of doing it? Like well, we had a call this morning. <laughs> this, this <laughs> this is just, it was a, it's, a, it's an edge case. <laughs> yeah. And um, is it a worthy edge case to design for? I don't, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, uh, so our edge case example comes from someone who's kind of hacked our product yeah. um, to do what they needed to do and then yeah. we change something. Yeah. And we change something for the better of the system yeah. and for improving things overall. Um, but then now it's kind of, it's actually screwed up their process a little bit. Right. Which was very manual, very kind of take, like looking in one product and transferring data to another product. Right. Um, so, so is that, a, well you're saying, is that a worthy edge well, case? I hope he's not listening. Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's going to be those situations yeah. versus, okay, and I'm going to say what, yeah, I'm going to say if we look, we're looking at it and if the improvement, if, if, if we can change something that then improves the system and yeah. improves it for everybody, yeah. but also answers his question, then that would be a solution. Mm. But at the same time, we, yeah. those things, those situations are going to come up whenever we change something or yeah. we improve what we think is improving it for 99% of the users. Right. Um, have you had these situations? That's, it's a really interesting question. And I think the f two things. First thing is when you say this person's hacked your, your <laughs> service and, and yeah. try it. And this is, this is another reason why edge cases are so fascinating because oh. they're the ones who are, the who are, they're the original hackers. They've, it's fascinating when you, they find a way around to use it and make it their own in a way. So um, I guess if, if it was me, I would try to reach out to this person and just even do a workshop with this person to sort of see how they hacked it and how what were the needs that were not being met. And I think from my point of view, it would not be let's redesign the whole thing. But maybe there's something to investigate there. Maybe it's a it's a it's a a situation or a need that comes up with other audiences as well. So I think I and I think that's 
the other aspect of you know looking at the edge cases it challenges you to do you to think about you know needs and and um, scenarios you probably hadn't thought of or you didn't think was something that um, most of your audiences didn't need but maybe there is something and I, w I would be fascinated by that I mean <laughs> call me in tomorrow I'll go and investigate <laughs> this for you um, Gosh, you should have just come in earlier. <laughs> I mean, it literally was half an hour before you came in. So, uh, yeah, but it, but even yeah. if even if it doesn't lead to big change in that case, it's actually it's much more broadening yeah. in terms yeah, of yeah. what you do in the future. Yeah, there were some other there were some things that yeah. um, reminded me of other calls we'd had, which weren't particularly on that tiny because it's a small thing. It's a very yeah. small thing. It's a very small thing that was yeah. changed, but conceptually. Um, it reminded me of something else someone had asked for last, like a couple of months ago from Polly and she, so there were bigger things that we could definitely look at at some point. Yeah, <laughs> and look, the reality is there's, well. you know, time and budget constraints and stuff, but, you know, mm. the fact that you remembered something else that was, that came up that could potentially be two and two together mm. and you sort of ex explore it. And I think most um, organizations do have hack days or, you know, um, you keep time away, like the Google's, um, you know, 20% or um, time kind of thing. These are great little nuggets to, if you can't get to immediately, maybe use this, bring this into your team uh, hack day or your, your team creative session to to sort of ideate around and bring that. And I think that's, that's the way in, according to me, is to start using this as innovation and creative stimulus, at least, to start. Uh, because most creatives, I mean, not not that they want to, but most creatives do shy away. And the amount of times I've heard in my career, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've been guilty of it at some point as well, to say, oh, that's an edge case. Yeah. You know, just keep it away, keep it away. Yeah. No, like, pack it away, pack it away. Um, <laughs> so, and especially when you've got like timelines and things going, you know, like keep the edge case that goes, that gets shelved. So let's let's pick that out and bring it into a stimulus session to start pushing your team to start thinking differently and look at the different aspects of it. So I'm going to use that as a segue into we've talked about edge cases in kind of briefs or um, problem solving or clients. Mm -hmm. uh, what if we brought those edge cases into our businesses? So how do we? And they're not even edge cases, actually, really. But talking about how do we bring more diverse thinking into our teams and our and our businesses, yeah. um, which obviously means giving opportunities to people that are more diverse. Yeah. Um, what have you What have you seen throughout your career? Yeah. So I think what I've found is in recent times there is a lot of conversation around businesses understand that they need more diverse talent. Um, and I think it's it's a challenge. They're thinking about how to attract these diverse talents, um, which is great, it's the first step. Um, but there, there are a couple of aspects for me. It's, you know, it's that saying you can't be what you can't see. So when you, don't see a very diverse management layer, it's really hard for me walking in as maybe a, a woman of color or you know, um, um, LGBTQ plus person walking in 
thinking, does this organization feel like where I need to be? So it is, it is a tough, um, it's a tough one for businesses today. But I think the other aspect that people don't think about in a, in a product or service, you've got acquisition. Yeah, you're like, let's get users in. But you also need to think about retention, right? You need to think about what are you going to do? What are the users going to do with your product or service once they're in? And I'm unfortunately not hearing a lot of conversation about how do you yeah. engage the diverse talent? You attract them, they come in, and then you just can't go, Keep all right, here's your desk, you let's go. Um, you can't because, you know, is their voices being heard? Are you listening to their story? Um, are you understanding and nurturing different perspectives? Because I've been in um, conversations where someone has said something and then the leadership team is perhaps not giving it that much attention or missed that point. Um, and then that's a lost opportunity because you've got the diverse talent, but you're not actually utilizing the benefits of it as well. Uh, and then what happens is you lose it. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, and also, for example, and Andy and I were talking about this, it's like as working parents, um, especially in our industry, um, it's, it, is, it is a changing conversation again, so I don't, you know, I don't think it's um, painting everyone with a broad brush stroke, uh, but you know, it's an industry that has historically praised people who sit up to, to sit late till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the night. It's, it feels like a bonding culture if you're there at like midnight working on something, it feels like you're rallying the troops together then you become a parent and that's just not um, possible and that's just not a doable and you don't want to do it because your priorities change. So again, from a work culture perspective, I know I'm personally seeing a lot of my friends who've um, become parents either drop their days or move jobs or start to look somewhere else because from um, engagement point of view, it's just not feasible and that's not there. That feeds into the lack of diversity as well because that's right. certain. Um, it's a very. I always found there were always. It, I, when I was a young designer, I was like, oh, everyone's young. Yeah. But then as I started to get older, I was like, where are all the old people? Where's the 40 year old female creative director? Yeah. I kept looking. Yeah. That's right. Um, where, where are they going? They're disappearing. Where are they? Where am I going to be? Gonna... And it makes you wonder. Yeah. yeah it, it's like you can't be it till you can't see it. Um, and that's not everywhere, obviously. I have worked with female creative directors. Yeah. But, um, and it shouldn't be this way. It should be that both men and women and all parents of any type um, take time off. But as it stands at the moment, societally, more women do take time off, even though it is becoming more equal yeah so the kind of outflow of that is that there'll be young women who come into the industry think that this is what they want to have as their career and then just wonder yeah like, are they going are they where are they going yeah <laughs> well also like and I know personally as that change as I went through that change and I you know even when I was pregnant, I was like, who do I turn to to ask, how do I do this? 
because it feels like a complete unknown. I'm opening up this door and I don't know what it holds on the other side. So who do I ask? How do I juggle the um, you know the childcare and the the day to day activities. Why is it all my like responsibility? My, yeah. <laughs> you know? that's a bigger question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have enough time for that. The reason why this whole thing started for me personally, why I started to look at the edge case and the innovation part, was because I realised that as soon as I became a mum, I got shut out of so many services overnight. You know? Suddenly you notice curbs, huh? You do. You really do. So much more. You do. And the width of of. <laughs> Paths That's right. And crappy tree roots. Yep. And People parking on the pavement. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Widths of shopping. Yeah. But I mostly, I can't take Ubers anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I, st- I was yeah. standing outside an emergency department with a, with a six-month-old who was so tired after 12 hours over there, and I realised I couldn't take an Uber. Mm. And I, I mean, I don't know what the situation is within the businesses of this these businesses, um, although you can hear from the media, not great. Um, But (laughs) like, you know, I guess if they had more voices of mums in there, there, it would, I hope there would have been a different outcome, at least a transition. It would have been part of a conversation, wouldn't it? Who is our audience? There'll be be these people. Well, that's the problem, isn't it, when their audience is everyone? And I think that's where those companies really struggle. Mm. And they end up actually designing solutions for people that are running those businesses rather than the the kind of the full diverse audience. And my argument with that is even if your audience is everyone is when we look at audience and we look at our audiences we look at a snapshot of their life stage Mm -hmm. but we want to build a business of value of lifetime value and lifetime value means those audiences um you know millennials are going to become old um you know gen z is going to come in through those needs keep changing and that's where the problem starts to come through so these millennials are now becoming parents so the ubers are having competition coming through say a Sheba mm. um, and these are you know you're just keeping yourself open to disruption so it's I think that even more adds to the point that you need those diverse point of views in the room as you're making those products I mean even if there was an acknowledgement from you know an uber that being a long-term partner hey you know just FYI if you need a child car seat let us know we can rent it or you can bring your own just something that acknowledges that we're open to everybody exactly just a notification that says i need a child seat as a setting any i mean now we're going to solutions but it's an (laughs) acknowledgement that you are still you're still important to us so yeah so you've both come out of agency land Hmm. (laughs) around the time that you've become parents we actually were talking about this just before when we were setting up the mics. Um, Shruti was talking about how she left, a, how she's now freelancing and mm. kind of figuring out um, the pathway through that and how I was actually freelancing while pregnant and then when I had the baby I went and got a job for, you know, the opposite reasons. I was like, oh, I've got standard daycare days and I just, yeah. the security and the routine yep. of it was, um, so in a way, so can, can agencies <laughs> sustain your career for where you are now? I really hope so. Um, they should. They should because, again, first and foremost, the, the expectation that everybody 
works long crazy hours is not sustainable for anyone um, it doesn't set a good precedent for um, the young creative entering the industry and in a environment where we're actively talking about mental health um, we're talking about work-life balance uh, it's just not a sustainable um, experience for anybody but as a mum as a working parent um, Currently, I don't think so because it is it is a uphill battle because you're constantly having to remind people that you're going to be leaving at X um, hour. Um, but I think, say for example, at RGA, we uh, what I found personally extremely helpful was we had a um, we had an event where three working parents we we told our story of our lives as working parents and there were shocked faces in the audiences and went you pay what for childcare <laughs> and after six o'clock you pay what per minute and that's when I was like that's why I'm running out at yeah, five yeah. o'clock um, so it is that awareness that needs to happen um, it is that change that needs to come through and again that that also needs to happen from a top down as well as a bottom up. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, it will, it will happen. It will come in a wave and an arc as Martin Luther King says, history is in a linear um, uh, progression. You know, it comes through waves and arcs. So we'll just, we'll see that change come through, mm. um, hopefully driven from both sides. I think the advent of more in-house agencies because that's definitely happening. Yeah. Um, and in-house often has better conditions. So if you have in-house agencies then attracting talent from external agencies, yeah. then they have to kind of keep up their, um, their yeah. offering to match yeah. what some places will offer True. for working parents or for people who have different flexibility needs. So why is in-house different? Because Ultimately, you're, I could get an agency to do the, the thing, or I could get someone in-house to do the thing. The thing is the same. The business is the same. Why is it that it, it doesn't, mm. it's executed in a different way? Which kind of goes back to your point earlier, which is, you know, you can say that you're going to be better for these people, um, these people. You can say that you're going to be better and more inclusive yep. for having more diverse people in your business. Um, but if nothing's changing about the way that you do things or even like the dynamics that are kind of not necessarily in those people's control, yeah. like how is it going to change and why uh, yeah. is it different in-house? Uh, I guess I wasn't talking just about in-house. You have a great boss. As a thing. <laughs> um, but when, you know, you know, bigger companies are bringing entire creative yeah, teams in-house as a sort of siloed, I guess that I would assume they're doing it from a cost perspective as well, yeah. but those those agencies then where I I guess the idea is they're getting the best of both worlds. They're getting yeah. kind of a very very independent team so they can look at things specifically and focus without kind of getting yeah. bound up in the everyday. Um, but then they're getting maybe corporate large company benefits. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. These I've, are all assumptions on my part. Yeah. I'm just throwing Like, out. so let's say you could start, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you uh, $1 million 
to start an agency tomorrow? Oh God. How do you, <laughs> this wasn't in the notes. How, how, <clears throat> what are, what's the first five things you would think about? Five's a lot, three you would think about in terms of like what are the conditions that you would want to you're set the up one who started the business agency. you tell me <laughs> I know. And I've, I've definitely looked at things of how i wanted to start a business yeah and some things i would wholeheartedly do again yeah some things i would completely change because i realize now mm. the pressures that would put on certain, on people yeah um so obviously you haven't done it so i have the benefit of hindsight um you only have foresight so are there things that you go if I was to start something tomorrow I would put this in place um I think oh, really spitballing here now um podcast is not <laughs> official <laughs> I think it's um one of the things I I guess if I was to start a business would be starting to think about employee work-life balance from the start um there is a conversation about how if you're a startup the first few years just say bye to your family and say you know yeah. you're, you're giving your day and night and everything into this and that's the commitment that investors want and want to see and I don't know I think there should be a different way to see it because at the end of the day a company is nothing but the value created by the people that work there and so if anything anything you design your company around should serve the people within it as much as the company as its whole as well uh, and everything that you create and the, the company you create needs to show that you you care and you want to nurture that that talent within um, so yeah I think I think things like that are important important to understand um, what's important to your employees and then work around that. The, inv the investor thing actually is a tough question because yeah. the, I remember watching, I, I used to watch a lot of Dragon's Den. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is like Shark Tank, I guess, over yep. here. And um, I remember sometimes the investors would criticise these people for going, hey, you know, like they talk about work-life balance. They talk about how they're now in charge of their own yeah. destiny and blah, blah, blah. And they're going, well, hmm. So I don't think it's for me. It sounds like a lifestyle business. <laughs> and it's like, what, what is wrong, by the way, with a lifestyle business? Business, yeah. Um, and I think that's actually, you know, that's, that pulls up a bigger point, which is when you're just focused on return on investment, yeah. mm. shareholder return, mm. yeah. profit, yeah. Um, you forget all about the people in yeah. the business. Um, and I think that that's a, it's such, a, it's, it's such an obvious thing. Yeah. But it feels, you know, even when we've got... It's going to go a bit deep now. Even when we've got government saying the most important thing in this country is the the health of the economy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right? it's yes. not the health of the Obsession. people, it's the health of the economy. economy. And, um, you know, suddenly we go, that that it does, it kind of filters down. You go, oh, well, you know, I might be having a shit time, but the economy's doing all right. So, oh, we're still in <laughs> surplus. Yeah. Or, well, know. that is the conversation right now, isn't it? Oh, Absolutely. It's like, what it are you doing about climate change? Oh didn't you hear we're back in surplus with our budget yeah. we yeah. balanced it oh, it's great. like no wh yeah. what's happening with the climate change we're in drop it's yeah. crazy it's like no no budget yeah meanwhile budget. the rest of us will have mortgages yeah. for a million dollars exactly this kind of conceptual thing when they're like well if the whole economy is making money then that naturally means that all of us are it's like yeah. no, no the wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer yeah. and inequality is rising but 
what I'm he's still, cli- yeah, he's still <laughs> clinging to this idea that we're all the trickle down thing works. Yeah. But no, yeah, I saw a great New Yorker cartoon once, which was a couple of people out around a campfire, and they said, "Well, we now live in the apocalypse, but we had a really great <laughs> for some time. We created some really great." Great return for our shareholders. Yeah. But it's like, that's where we'll end up. <laughs> reminiscing about dividends. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, yeah, yeah. I think. I think not too many people ask that question, um, or are afforded to ask that question when they start businesses or when they run businesses as well. Um, I, and you know, to add to that, I don't. I haven't started a business, so it's well and true okay for me to sit here and say this is what I would do. I'm pretty sure it's a uphill challenge to do so, and it's probably going to take, a, you know, it's probably not going to get right from the get-go. But I think the difference is, and I've worked in companies where I know that I've seen it, the difference is when the company's continually trying to get it right. Um, and not, you know, you know that your company's trying to get the best for you. They're probably, you know, they're balancing out a couple of things, but you can see that effort being made um, for the people. So I think that's the difference between good businesses that come through. So what's next for you? So you're freelancing now. Is this a holding pattern freelance? Is this, uh, I'm just trying to work out where things can go, what opportunities come up? Is there a grand plan or do you plan on being opportunistic? Oh, I think if um, if I was to tell you my story as a designer, you would realize I've, grand plans have never worked out for me. <laughs> I call my journey uh, the path of the pivots. So I, growing up all my life, I had a grand plan of becoming a dentist. And I worked so hard, went into dental school. Two weeks in, I realized this isn't for me. (laughs) And I was out of there. And then I didn't have a plan, so I didn't know what to do. Um, So I, on my mum's suggestion, hi, mum, I went to design school. She said, go to design school till you figure out what you want to do. And loved it and found a love for advertising and print um, and then I found myself in my in a job for web design and I remember telling my boss back then hey um, I'll do this web design thing if you give me some print every now and then <laughs> so silly um, but then from from web design I f- was fortunate enough to be in a time where UX was just starting to emerge and um, I happened to meet people who were starting to live and breathe that mindset and hence learned from them because this was before it was formalized into courses and had a boss who uh, who fortunately gave me that um, opportunity to start and grow a team. And so again, I pivoted from design to UX. So if anything, uh, I think it is for me, it's about taking what I can learn from this experience of freelancing and then keeping an eye out on where I'm going to be pivoting next. I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, yeah. There's plans and no plans. That's I think. true. Or like rough, vague ideas. Yep. Otherwise. Yep. Yeah. It is, although I must say it is harder now 
because when you become a parent, you've lost all control of all aspects of your life already. <laughs> and now you don't know what's happening next. But that's what you've been preparing for all this time. I, I, that's what I've been telling myself. I said, if not now, then when? Yes. Look, <laughs> I've already lost control. Yes, the benefit <laughs> is you've lost control already. So you can't lose it again. Exactly. There's nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Okay, thank great. you so much for joining us. No, it was thank a great you. chat. I this feel like fun. we could have gone for, for even longer. <laughs> I think also like great advice in there in terms of those edge cases and yeah. also people thinking about the value of bringing in others to their business that might not be like them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for it's having been great me. Great chatting. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So that is the Never Not Creative season two episode sixteen. Follow us on social at NVR Not Creative. Um, Instagram, we've got a Facebook group. Just look up Never Not Creative uh, and take part in the discussion there. Always good to have new faces join us and hear everything they have to say. Thanks to Streamtime for supporting Never Not Creative. If you need help with your project management and uh, job management in your creative business um, then check out streamtime.net and we'll be back in a couple of weeks thanks Laura. thank you